Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Camille from sunny California, and you're listening to the Coffee Chat with Camille show, which is a podcast series that interviews various guests about real-life topics for people who love to learn. Excuse me. All right, let's see. Here. And I will try on this side here. Excuse me. And. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Wonderful. Okay. Welcome to the show, Christopher. <laughs> I'm very, very <laughs> happy to have me. you as a guest. Yeah. yeah. Such a pleasure. All right. Let's get our uh, let's go ahead and get into the interview real quick here. So what are you reading right now? Oh, I love that question so much. Uh, I feel like I always have a gigantic to-read pile uh, <laughs> scattered throughout my office, um, and I love love hearing other people's book recommendations. So right now, I just started reading uh, Essentialism by Greg McKeown, um, and then I recently finished uh, a fiction book, which I actually don't read a ton of fiction books uh, myself. I read a lot of business, leadership, those types of books. But I read the uh, Area X trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, and that was a really, really interesting read. So those are those are two that are top of mind right now for me. Wonderful. And then what are your favorite books to suggest to our audience or listeners? Yeah, so there's two books that I recommend to just about everyone, uh, both by the same author, and I feel like they should be read in close conjunction with each other. They're both from Charles Dewey. The first is The Power of Habit. Uh, This book taught me how to hardwire my brain, take control of the habits that are both conscious and unconscious in my day-to-day life. And then the second book is Smarter, Faster, Better, which takes some of the knowledge uh, that Charles kind of shares in The Power of Habit, but then applies that and other concepts to the team environment. So how to be a more effective leader, and then also just how to engineer performance uh, and and also evaluating what performance is. Wonderful. Then what assessments do you use to help your team perform more effectively? We perform a lot of them. So we've we've evaluated a lot of assessments. at the Epicenter Innovation team. And I've been a huge, huge assessment nerd for years, probably over a decade now. And I'm the kind of nerd that takes assessments for fun. And I understand if anyone listening is not in that boat. However, um, I think the getting a good overlap and a good overview of what assessments can do for us is really critically important for our self-awareness. So 
the ones that I usually recommend and the ones that I have uh, our teammates take when they get hired, usually within the first week of hire, uh, first is the Myers-Briggs test, which is the MBTI. We take a certain version of that, which is focused on the application of personality type. That's called type coach. Um, and then we do workshops and things like that associated with, with that particular assessment. Uh, another that is uh, not just uh, perf uh, personality, but then gets into more behavioral and what they call a conative application of assessments is called a Colby A. Colby A, rather than telling you what your tendencies or your preferences are in terms of your personality, it tells you how you approach work. And uh, it's really interesting to see the differences and think as a professional, we're all, we're all thinking about how we approach work and I think it's assumed that we all approach work the same way. And that assessment taught me and has taught my team uh, that really we approach it very, very differently and it helps kind of iron out some of the, the kinks when we're working together and trying to meet each other's needs. And then uh, obviously the last one would be uh, the one that we just designed and launched a few months back, which is called the Resilience Innovator Type Assessment. So now we have these three assessments that we uh, share with teammates when they're, when they're hired. We also share those with clients as well to help them with their challenges. And that third assessment just assesses, you know, what's your level of resilience? Uh, what type of innovator are you? Like, what's your profile? And then it also gives you an idea of what, what archetype you are and how you show up, not just to work, but anytime you might experience stressful uh, or crisis level situations. Thank you so much. And then what's one piece of advice you have for a younger um well, for younger audience members or listeners? I'm a huge advocate for young professionals and for early career or even transitioning professionals. I think it's easy to, uh, you know, focus on just recent graduates or soon-to-be recent graduates and say that they need support. But I also really appreciate the fact that when you're transitioning into a new career, even though you may not look like a young professional, you're entering into that new field or new environment uh, almost with a similar similar lens. So the advice that I give uh, to all of those individuals is to really try to know yourself as, as strongly and as deeply as possible and use that as a strength. Um, I used to do a presentation called Interviewing Naked. This was years and years ago. Actually, I haven't talked about it in a long time. But the, the premise behind this talk was around how when you're doing an interview or you're in, you know, part of an application process to get a new job or a new role or to get a promotion or whatever, um, that you're interviewing that individual and that organization just as much as they're interviewing you. And I think if you come into that conversation understanding and appreciating that with your level of self-awareness that it makes no sense to anyone to pretend to be something that you're not, then you're coming at those conversations from a power position and you're going to be much more successful because you'll know what environment you work well in. You'll know what personality types you work well with. You'll know what you need to grow in. And, and when they ask the question, you know, what's your greatest weakness, you're not going to say something silly like, oh, my greatest weakness is I work too hard. No, you'll actually know and have thought about it and have some sort of plan around how you're working at it. And an organization that appreciates those things is probably where you're going to be most successful and, and thinking and trying to match those backgrounds and the preferences that you have with the work environment is really, really key. Okay. Thanks again. And then what does resilience mean to you? 
this is one of my favorite questions to ask. I love that you asked it. Um, so resilience has a ton of different definitions. And if you ask a psychologist, if you ask a physicist, if you ask all these different professions, they will have a completely and wildly different answer based on their experience. So it's important, I think, when we define a word, think about the context of where it came from. The word resilience actually came from physics. It came from metallurgy, and it means that the ability of a material, usually a metal in this case, uh, to retake its original form after a stressor has been put on it. And that's where we get the term like bouncing back or the phrase bouncing back after a disaster or a crisis or something like that. Uh, and that's kind of colloquially as a, as a group, we've come to understand that that's the accepted definition. Um, I don't think that definition is complete. I think if we're bouncing back, then we're highly reactive. We're uh, kind of backpedaling over time and backpedaling through life or through a situation or a crisis that we might be facing. And instead, my hope is that by harnessing resilience, by knowing yourself, by having greater levels of self-awareness and team uh, cohesion, psychological safety, that instead of bouncing back, that we can innovate forward. So that's really the definition that I like to use for resilience is that you're able to take what you're given and make something good out of it but rather than just getting back to back to normal and responding and recovering from something that really you can get back to a point that's better than where you started. Okay, that's outstanding. And then what does innovation mean to you? What does it mean now? And uh, oh, sorry, yeah. in context, time period, et cetera. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack with that question. And similar to the resilience uh, notion, if you ask a thousand different people from a thousand different backgrounds, you probably get a different definition of innovation every single time. I think that's partly the beauty of these two words is that you uh, have an understanding and can get a better perspective of where an individual is coming from based on their answer. For me, innovation is about uh, doing things that are new, relatively untried, and building, and also building upon things that may have existed before, but using a unique playbook that maybe hasn't existed previously. So when I think about innovation, I think about two types of innovation. Um, and we talk about this a little bit in our learning lab, and, and I've, I've done some other interviews on this before. But the, um, the two that I think about is light bulb innovation, or what we would think of as like disruptive innovation. Those innovations are you know, more inventive in nature, um, and the focus there is on creating something that's brand new. It completely disrupts the category. It upsets the status quo. And it changes, you know, how we do things or changes what we might interact with from like a technological perspective or a process perspective. It, it changes that irrevocably. The, and, and some of us do operate in this environment. And I think that's the more traditional definition of innovation. The other part of innovation that I like to call attention to is probably much more prevalent in most of uh, your listeners' lives. And that's more like the process or incremental iterative innovation. And that's taking something that does exist now and has existed in the past and making it incrementally better. 
And some of those innovations might not be noticed by the average person or might not be appreciated by the average person. However, if it makes a difference in making something better and making something more sustainable, then that innovation really is important. And it's the type of innovation, that type of innovation, is what keeps our organizations and our you know, society and government and those types of things moving forward at a, at a pace that's improving iteratively over time. Okay. And what is it like working with government and other organizations that are risk-averse and less innovative by design? Yes. Uh, this is an interesting question, and I get asked this a lot from non-government uh, audiences, especially because they're curious about how government operates or these very large slow-moving organizations, how they play with each other, or how they uh, might innovate over time. And I think the, the trope there is that government agencies and these very large organizations, these bureaucratic organizations, don't innovate. They really, really struggle to innovate. And in a lot of cases, that, that can be true. Um, once you add lots of bureaucracy and lots of red tape and lots of different people playing with different priorities, chances are things are going to move slower no matter what you do, even if the culture of innovation is is there. Um, working with these groups is challenging, especially from my perspective, working with organizations that focus on safety, security, resilience, and these types of traditionally risk-averse uh, groups, they do have a much harder time because their knee-jerk reaction to innovation is to say, like, okay, well, disruptive innovation – does exactly that. It disrupts things. Or in a crisis or in a public safety scenario, a disaster, whether it be natural or non-natural, uh, absolutely is already a major, major disruption. And we don't want to disrupt things further. We don't want to make things worse, especially when life safety or property preservation considerations are at play. However, like I mentioned earlier, if you change the definition, if you flip the script a little bit to be less about surviving and think more about thriving, think less about disaster and think more about opportunity, then you really have that, uh, I think, an imperative. These groups have an imperative to not just survive, bounce back, you know, use the first definition of resilience that I offered, but to think more comprehensively about how we can push forward and how we can make improvements based on the crisis that, that we're in. And the best example that I can give, the easiest and, and I think probably most palpable example for most people, is that if you had to renew your license or your vehicle registration in the last two years or so during COVID, you may have noticed that miraculously as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic that you were able to do a lot of that stuff online, that you didn't have to go and make the trip to the DMV and wait in line and talk to an associate and fill out a bunch of paperwork. You were able to just, you know, scan a QR code or fill out an email mm -hmm. form and things like that. And you were able to move a lot faster as a result of that disruptive, what other people would call disruptive innovation. And that just proves to me that in light of crisis that we can create good things. And I think that's a really easy mm -hmm. example, but there are thousands and thousands of others that, that exist. Okay, thank you so very much. And then I have, um, yeah, I think I have one more question. Um, what is your favorite coffee or hot beverage, Christopher? Uh -huh. 
Uh, my favorite <laughs> coffee would probably be a latte of some sort. Uh, yeah. I really, really love coffee. I love to go to, like, local craft coffee shops and get work done or to read. And I'll usually get, like, an oat milk latte if I'm feeling uh, if I'm mm. feeling some sort of flavoring, I'd love to do like a lavender or a honey or something like that, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of wake up the taste buds and have it taste really good. That's uh, that's my go-to. Wonderful. Thank you so very much for that, and thank you yes. for this magnificent interview. I really appreciate you being on and being our guest today. And I do want to say goodbye for now. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Bye for now. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, everyone. That was wonderful, Christopher. And, um, again, we can find him at epicenter-innovation.com. And uh, I have um, this link in the show notes. And you know what? I didn't uh, check about the uh, handle, the social media handle. I think I hung up a little too quickly there. Oops. So let me uh, check right now. And the reason is because my time is dwindling. Um, Let me see here. One moment, please, folks. All right, Christopher's he's magnificent. I, I read his reviews from other podcasters, and he's quite impressive. And I I really found a lot of what he said to be um, I I felt really inspirational and a different way of looking at things actually. So yeah, let me check this out. So yeah, he's here. Okay, so Facebook handle. He's uh, Facebook. He's uh, Tarantino for me. Okay. So we have that one. And then on Twitter, he's uh, the same, Tarantino for me, twitter.com forward slash Tarantino for me. And then we will go to, one moment, folks, uh, LinkedIn as well. And it's Christopher Tarantino. There's like somebody who's real famous with that last name, uh, Tarantino, right? And it's spelled exactly the same way, okay? I can't think of him. He's a director. You guys have figured it out. But at any rate, so Christopher has a really famous last name. So anyway, but yes, he is also on, he's at Christopher Tarantino on LinkedIn as well, Okay. So those are his uh, three social media handles along with his website, all right? And uh, our our uh, topic was magnificent, and be sure to go to Epicenter Innovation, okay? And I think that's it for today. I, I did want to tell you that here in California, we have been having incredible weather and up and down the coast, apparently, in particular, uh, L.A. County, San Bernardino County, and uh, uh, Kern County, uh, many of the counties are, are just seeing, like, a lot of rain and a lot of snow. So, as I was saying, I was just, like, going outside to check the mail yesterday, 
And in it, I was looking for uh, my press credentials because I'm officially a member of the international press. And uh, <laughs> so I'm going out there and I'm uh, opening up the mailbox. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, huh, something's hitting my head. It's like these little white pebbles, like ding, 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 you know. And, you know, if you can't wake up in the morning, that will wake you up in the morning, you know. And uh, so I'm shaking my head, like, because I have my bangs out, and I'm shaking them back and forth trying to make sure whatever these pebbles are, they don't stick. And because uh, I don't have that slippery kind of hair. And at any rate, I it's straight. I have straight hair. Um, it's curly straight. Okay, let's go there. But at any rate, so these little pebbles are just like, and I look at them, like, oh, these are little ice. So these are like little mini hell pebbles that are just flying out of the sky, out of nowhere. And uh, so, uh, honestly, I haven't really seen that. And uh, rain, for sure. You know, the rain pouring, that big water just coming out of nowhere, depending on what cloud sits in the sky. But not the hell. And so it was... Uh, it was quite the experience. It's been quite the experience. And then, of course, my children are, hey, Mom, it's snowing outside. I'm like, oh, it is? In Orange County. Because they live in Irvine, which is like, um, uh, I call it yuppie town. But I don't know if they use that phrase any longer, but I use it. And so it's, uh, but it's pretty upscale. It's like border Lake Forest. And, um it's snowing, you know, and they're shopping and like all the workers at the place are taking pictures of the snow and, you know, this is epic. So just wanted to add that to the end of Christopher's episode. It has nothing to do with his episode, but nevertheless, I just want you guys to know that I air from sunny California that is now snowy California and rainy California that has now uh, I believe Gavin Newsom, our very amazing governor, who does things really great or really not so great to other folks, um, has declared a state of emergency. And on that note, that's not really the greatest note. I want to end it on our amazing, amazing, magnificent, innovative, um, entrepreneur, epic guest. Christopher Tarantino, okay? So I hope that everyone gets a chance to listen to him here. I feel privileged to have had him on, and I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Tomorrow is Happy Friday, and later on today, I do have one more guest coming on, okay? I believe she'll be here at 1 o'clock. Her name is Katie Brinkley, She's a, and she is a mompreneur, so... Let's check her out, okay? And so she'll be here at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening.